I love the tap room the way it is. Although sometimes people will come in late at night like, give me six shots of Jameson. And you're like, no. <laughs> This week on Washington Beer Talk, we're continuing our Minnesota tour. This is week two and we're at Indeed Brewery talking to Kelly, who is the head of marketing. We talked to her today about what it's like to run the marketing team over at Indeed, which at six years old is a powerhouse of a nano brewery. They've got a sizable marketing team and Kelly's got to make sure it's all running smoothly. If you stick around towards the end, Kelly gets real with us. We start talking about women in the workplace and in the brewery industry in general. Washington Beer Talk is supported by Craft Beer Club. If you're listening to this, then I suspect you're a big fan of beer. Craft Beer Club ships a monthly crate of carefully chosen beers straight to your door. If you need a good gift idea for the drinker that has everything, I bet they'd still appreciate a bit of beer. You can get delicious beer and support the Cycling Cicerone by following the link in the description on the blog or by going to cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. That's cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. I'm your host, the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. My name is Kelly Moritz. I'm the marketing and communications manager at Indeed Brewing Company. Been here for almost four years. Brewery is about to be six years old in August, this coming August. You've been here for four years. Brewery, I was just, I was just at Tin Whisker Brewery over in St. Paul, and they're, they're four years old brewery. They're one of the older breweries in the area. That's so six years is like a an old brewery. It does. It makes you feel old, quote unquote, yeah, in the insane. scene. Absolutely. Well, let's get a little, a little bit of background on Indeed. I've actually never been here before. You've got like this traditional German Zwickel beard. Give us a quick background. Yeah, the brewery's been here in the same space spot in northeast Minneapolis for, like I was saying, um, almost six years now. We're in a building, it's called the Solar Arts Building. So we kind of took over the first floor, there are artist studios up on the second floor, and now there's a really nice event space on the third floor, which this neighborhood is just kind of popping off now, suddenly. I would say it feels like all of a sudden, at least in the time that I've been here, um, when Indeed you know, came into this space there wasn't a lot of action in terms of like restaurants or places for people to grab food, grab beers. Now there's like a hipster soft serve place at the far end of the street. So I feel like the the, the street itself has changed a lot and Northeast has changed a lot um, since Indeed opened its doors here in the in Northeast Minneapolis. But actually since the Surly taproom law passed, we were the first brewery to open a taproom in Northeast and now there's quite a handful, more than a handful, all within, you know, biking distance. The brewery was founded by three friends, Rachel, Nathan, and Tom. They all knew each other from working on the newspaper at the University of Minnesota. I think all of them came from a photography background, so they were doing photo stuff for the paper at the U, and that's how they kind of knew each other. And, you know, Tom and Nate kind of came together and were like, we have this idea. Tom at the time was working at Town Hall Brewery, which think that like we're old. Town Hall is a brew pub, so it's a different model, but they are definitely like a fixture of the Twin Cities brewing scene. And our brewery wouldn't exist without Town Hall. Um, Tom was there at the time he was waiting tables. Josh Bischoff, our head brewer, was also at Town Hall at the time. That's how Tom and Josh got to know each other. And so when it all started to come together that they were gonna make Indie Brewing Company, their very first thing was to grab 
like the best head brewer that they knew and could find, which was Josh. So it was really the four of them that got the thing off the ground. And Tom and, and Nate were both home brewers. They definitely had brewed and, and things like that. It was really important to them to bring on a very professional brewing staff as quickly as possible. And so Josh was like very much involved from the very beginning. And I really don't think that the brewery would be what it is if it weren't for his involvement. It's He's such a fundamental piece of beer offerings, and, and that really is what gives us quite a bit of our personality. I think there's a lot of other aspects, too, that kind of combine to create what Indeed is, but Josh's kind of imagination and like skill and um, thoughtfulness about the beers that we've been brewing, I think is really like very much fundamental to the, to the whole company. What's your favorite beer here? Date Tripper. It's a classic. It's, um, you can go back to it over and over and over and over again. I never get sick of it. I could drink it any time of year, summer, winter, spring, fall, any type of snack or food or even just like by itself. It's just the beer that I crave when I want a beer. Light enough, it's not like a super heavy, I'm not gonna get knocked on my butt. It's hoppy, it's bitter, which are like requirements for me for beers. I think just the fact that like I never, I never don't want it. <laughs> so you mentioned the the Stein and the German style beer. The, I don't, we didn't come out of the gate with those styles of beer, but they've set, definitely they've certainly started to pepper into our lineup, which I think is pretty cool. We're kind of looking back to the traditional styles, like to make sure we're solid in those. I think is really important, and then to be able to take that as a foundation to get wild with some beers. Beyond that, you, you kind of have to like know, you have to like walk before you can run or like you should be able to make a really solid pills or, you know, in this case, the Zwickel beer in the Stein is something that I think is really fun. So it's like we can do both and we get a lot of enjoyment out of like playing around with, with styles, so. How do they come up with the name Indeed? Do you know anything about Yeah, that? I do know. It's kind of a funny story, like, because it wasn't a name that came easily. I wasn't here at the time, but I know that they were debating quite a bit about names. And they didn't want it to be like location specific, so it didn't want to be like Quincy Street Brewing Company or, you know, the Minneapolis Brewing Company. I think they wanted something that could feel more universal and not so much tied to a specific geographic location. And they wanted it to be something that was kind of universally appealing, so nothing too niche that was gonna make people feel like left out of the brand or left out of the umbrella or the family hug that like is the brand. It's like, you know, we kind of want to be able to like include everybody. Tom had been watching The Wire and I haven't seen The Wire. I tried one episode and couldn't totally get into it. I'm, I'm gonna give it another try though, but there's a character, I guess, who says the word indeed quite a lot and so it was in his consciousness or subconsciousness or something I think he was driving down Hiawatha trying to get from his house to the brewery stuck in traffic and uh, popped into his head like maybe that could be a name and I don't even think that it really caught on with the whole crew at first I think everyone was kind of like I don't know that's just like a word it doesn't really mean anything <laughs> Um, but actually, the more they thought about it, it, you know, it might have started as just a word, but I think that it really has come to mean just like a positive affirmation, you know? Like, indeed, yeah, like, absolutely. So I think that's pretty cool that, it, you know, it, it didn't necessarily start from a place of like, we're going to name it this because of this, but it all kind of worked out, and I like it. I think it's a, it's a cool name.
Do you guys have like a theme of some kind you like to stick to? I would say when we first opened our doors, um, the, the focus was very much on hop forward beers. Um, our two beers that we came out with right off the bat as year round offerings were um, Day Tripper, which is a hoppy West Coast style pale ale, um, and Midnight Rider, which was a black IPA. Um, which has since been retired. You know, it, it will come back, but it's it's not in our year-round lineup anymore. Those two beers plus Shenanigans Summer Ale, which is a wheat beer, um, with, brewed with a little bit of honey. So I would say, you know, I think our our three things that we're really strong at would be hot forward beers that are kind of pushing the envelope. Honey beers, actually. So Josh does a lot of really cool stuff with honey, and some of the beers that we are most well known for outside of the Twin Cities would be like our Mexican honey, our LSD. Both of those beers are brewed with a ton of honey and even like shenanigans brewed with a decent amount of honey. We're actually coming out with a version of our Mexican honey that's called Mexican Honey Light, which will have a lot less honey, but it will still have a good amount of honey in there as well. So Josh is definitely all about the, the honey stuff and he works really well with it. Um, old friends are like kind of a winter warmer, seasonal um, holiday time spiced with ginger. That's another cool one that he makes with honey. Almost any time you go back into the brew house, there's gonna you're gonna see like big vats of of honey, which is kind of cool. The third thing that's kind of emerging a bit that maybe wasn't part of our original lineup, but is definitely becoming, I think, a core piece of it is this more traditional German style. You know, it's just something that we're really strong at because our brewing team is excellent. Like they have a ton of experience. They're really good at their jobs and they execute really, really well on these styles of beer that can be tricky, you know, if you don't have that experience back in the brew house. And kind of like I was saying, going going back to be able to look forward, um, going back to like the history, to be able to then play on those styles, I think is really important. And so Dan Stavig, um, he's our lead brewer, working with Josh, and he came to us from Shells a couple of years ago. He's really kind of directing that. It's been cool that I know like Tom, one of our owners, and Daniel, who's our quality control manager, a handful of other people, usually Dan or maybe Josh, go to Germany every year for hop selection for our German hops that we buy from Germany. Through that too, they've just had a lot of really cool experiences over there and we just revamped all of our glassware in the tap room. So it's all glassware that we purchased from a German glassware manufacturer. And yeah, that was all Tom. He's like, this is just what I wanna have in our tap room. This is part of the experience that I wanna have. Yeah, we've moved away from the shaker pint, which, you know, it serves its purpose for sure. Um, we're trying to elevate the experience in the tap room. And yeah. so this was one way that we decided to, to really double down on that tap room experience. And, you know, you've got the cool yeah. stein. Um, you can only get this Vickle beer in that stein. Yeah, so it's really fun. Um, and then, we, yeah, we got these gorgeous new glasses. They just feel really good in your hands. And it just kind of ties back to like our history as brewers and, and also their personal experience of just being over there and like holding this glassware and being like, this is what I want to drink out of in my tap room. So, um, yeah. You guys must be committed to the Zickle beer then because you, yes. you went, we went and bought you the went mug, for it. So yeah. you have to have that Yes, now. the Steins are in the house. Um, Zickle beer is not going anywhere. <laughs> it's, nice. it's, it, it, it's the beer that our staff wants to drink when they're off the clock. That's the one they want to order. So they get their Stein. <laughs> what is the name of the restaurant that does the Oktoberfest here. Uh, Gastoffs. That yeah. tastes like I'm at Gastoffs. Yep, yep, it is. It's very, very traditional. Yeah. And who are you? <laughs> My name's Mia, and I'm the better half of the cycling Cicerone. <laughs> and what's your nickname? <sighs> the Misserone. <laughs> <laughs> I have two questions back to the honey yeah, beer. Yeah. Was 
because you mentioned distribution. So I'm wondering where you distribute because mm -hmm. you've grown so much since I lived here even. Yeah. And then where do you get your honey? We're currently distributing statewide in Minnesota. We are in the state of North Dakota, statewide there as well. We are in Wisconsin now as well. So we are, we are currently self-distributing from the Twin Cities into Wisconsin, focusing on Madison and Milwaukee. So yeah, three states right now. The plan is to move into all the states that we touch would be like the ideal plan. So adding Iowa, adding South Dakota, but not really trying to expand beyond that. Just staying really strong in our region and really taking care of our home front. Honey depends on which beer we're brewing. So Mexican honey is a very, very specific honey that's so specific that it's kind of caused us problems in the past. It's like worrying about supply, like can we get enough of this one specific honey to make enough beer to satisfy the demand for this beer? At the same time, you know, people are like, we want more Mexican honey. Are we willing to compromise and get, like, mix in some other honey from somewhere else so that we can make more? And I, you know, the answer has always been like, no, we got to keep it. That's why I was traditional curious. to what it. Yeah, it's because it would be a different beer, and there's yeah. just there's so much honey in that beer. I think it's about 45 pounds of honey or gallons per you know 30 barrel batch, and so that one comes from one specific location in Mexico. But then in shenanigans, for example, it's a regionally sourced honey. We kind of like to call it out if it's like a, if it's a cool origin. The honey from LSD, which is a sunflower honey, comes from Eastern Europe, where they have a lot of sunflower fields. Cool. Yeah, so it's, it's cool, yeah. It's different, but it's nice. It's, you know, I, I think he really pays attention to like the nuances between the different types of honey. And as a company, like sticking to our guns, like let's try to keep these, you know, keep true to what these are. If it's, if it's a main focal ingredient, if it's more of like just a, like a little bit of an addition, say in like shenanigans, which kind of just has like a, you know, more of a touch of honey, I would say, you know, that's regionally sourced. I don't have like an exact specific location where that comes from. And, and I don't think anyone really minds because it's kind of just like a, a small piece of the beer, whereas Mexican honey is a, you know, the strong focal point of that beer, so. I can't tell if it's like a regional trend or if it's just because I've now been to two breweries since I got here, or three yeah. since I got here yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah. And I've seen honey beer multiple times, yeah. but we don't really see that in Seattle much. But oh, at Tin Whiskers, they had a honey chamomile, yeah, yeah. and I got that and it was delicious, mm -hmm. and I almost got the mm -hmm. Mexican honey here, and I like, Two, two breweries, that's a trend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm curious if it's like across the board, just people are playing around with honey more here. Maybe it's like the agricultural thing. I have a strong, you know, strong ag in the... Um, you were talking about self-distributing. Yeah. And this is now another regional difference. So we talked about honey and stuff being here. Um, uh -huh. This is, a, a, so far I've noticed that you guys are allowed to, you do a lot of self-distributing, you know, here, yeah. here at this brewery, but also at Tin Whisker and yeah. other breweries that I've seen, they, they are in, like, you go to the liquor store and you see like a lot, a lot, a lot of breweries mm -hmm. are all there. Mm -hmm. In Seattle, shelf space is really competitive mm -hmm. and it's basically, it's, you know, it's, Maybe I'm being cynical, but it's owned by Budweiser in a lot of ways, you know, because yeah. they own Elysian, which is the popular brewery in Seattle. So they can put eight Elysian beers on a on a wall, and nobody will notice that yep. there's no selection. Um, but anyway, you guys distribute. Sorry, I got a little, I digress a little bit. You, um, <laughs> We're still bitter a little. <laughs> yeah, you can't even tell. I miss yeah. my day glow. I mean, I'm being okay to eat drinks. So you guys self-distribute. I think I heard there's a 20k barrel max before you are expected to divest yes. from that. 
So are you guys anywhere near that limit? I mean, you got a 30 barrel system back there. That is pretty big. Yeah. It's really big. Yep. So we're on track to do about 16,000 barrels this year. It's possible that we could just get really, really close to that cap and just stay there. But I, you know, I can't say for sure. Things could change. Things do change on the daily. It's hard to say exactly what the, the firm plan is, but we are not within risk of hitting that number anytime soon. So we, it's part of our at least our short-term plan to keep self-distributing in the Twin Cities Metro. We do work with a lot of wholesale partners. Um, we've got five new ones that we just launched into North Dakota, or relaunched into North Dakota with um, a network of five new wholesalers there. And we've got wholesalers here in the, in the state of Minnesota that bring us south and bring us north. And so we're, we, we have kind of a mix of distribution models. So we do our self-distro stuff, and that covers Mass and Milwaukee too, like a pretty wide berth around the Twin Cities. And then everything else is handled by distributors. So yeah, it's kind of just still the Twin Cities where we are um, hanging on to the, the self-distribution thing. But And it, it brings its own challenges, and obviously it has benefits too, but we do a lot of things for ourselves that people um, at other breweries may not have to factor in. We have our own trucks. We have our own delivery driver. We basically run our own sign shop in the marketing department, whereas if you were with a distributor, all those things would be kind of taken care of. So it's, it definitely presents its own challenges, but it also gives us a, a different level of control over our business and just allows us to provide the kind of service that we feel is really important to us. And not to say that Distributors wouldn't provide that level of service, but it's a different. It's a. It's very personal. When someone, you know, an account manager shows up, there at a bar or a restaurant or a restaurant or a liquor store to sell beer, they're not just a brewery rep. They're also the salesperson too. So it's they're doing double duty all the time, and it's kind of a challenge, but it's also a benefit too, because they can, if need be, they can kind of go above and beyond what a maybe a normal relationship would be to go the extra mile. But yeah, I mean, we probably can't do it forever, but the way that we've got the mix right now is working pretty well, and it takes a lot of extra planning to run your own distribution. So we yeah. can talk about the brewery. Let's talk about you. Let's just go crazy. Tell yeah. us everything you do. It's, 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 um, we do a little bit of everything for everyone. As self-distributors in the, in the Twin Cities, it's a big chunk of our business. We are basically making all of the printed materials that go out around the cities. Anytime you see a banner, menu, tap handle, all of that stuff we're making here, producing here, delivering to um, our sales team. Um, menus here in the tap room, any kind of signage that you see here in the tap room, that's stuff that we've made. The hallway murals and stuff, that was a kind of a, a pet project of mine this past, within this past year, where tying back to that visibility of like what's happening behind the scenes, and also just in, in reinforcing the Indeed Brewing brand. Now that there are so many other breweries in the area, people may be on a tour, a bus tour or something like that, and they went to five different breweries, and how are they gonna remember where they were when they had that one beer that they really liked? And so just kind of, not hopefully in a tasteful way, not an obnoxious way, but making the, the brand more visible throughout our domain here in the building. So that was a big part of like the hallway project and just getting the logo out there in ways that it's cool and you're like, you know, maybe you walked down to the bathroom and saw the mural and you might stick with you like, oh yeah, that was indeed that I was at and not, you know, XYZ brewery 
around Northeast. So, so we do that. Um, we do all the science. So we do all the printed materials. We do all of the social, all the digital. You know, we keep track of our website and tap list and all the untapped and the beer advocate and all of that stuff. We do newsletters, make sure people know what beers are available every week for our you know, partners that are buying beer. Weird special projects, you know, we do, we help, we throw all the events that happen here at the brewery. We're involved with most of the events that happen outside of the brewery. Um, all the beer festivals. Another big part of my job, which is kind of more behind the scenes, is the branding of like new beers. Naming them, coming up with the packaging, colors, look and feel. So decisions maybe like this, where you're like, let's put in a ceramic mug. Yep. Are you behind that? Yes. Then you must have done this too. Yeah. This logo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, which is, um, that logo is kind of a spinoff of the B-Side Pills logo. So okay. those two are, are kind of tied together. B-Side is the, the brand that kind of goes out into the world, and Zwickle is the unfiltered version that we kind of just save for the tap room and special events. But if you see the B-Side logo and the Zwickle side by side, they're, um, you can tell they're related. You said we a whole lot. Who else is on your team? I have a small team in the quote-unquote you know, marketing department. So... Uh, it's me, and then I, ha- I work with Andy, who's our kind of in- he's our in-house graphic design, multimedia, anything graphic related. Lindsay is our event manager, so she really takes the helm on like any festival that we throw here. So we have two big festivals every year: Whirly Gig in the spring during Art Whirl, which is a Northeast art crawl giant party that happens all throughout this all throughout Northeast. And then Hullabaloo, which is our fall fest, which isn't connected to anything else. It's just kind of our own fall festival that we throw here at the brewery. So Lindsay tackles those from the, you know, management standpoint, gets all the permits straightened away, gets all the rentals, you know, things that are complicated and time-consuming, like tents and bleachers and tables and staffing, like even like how are you going to staff a, a three-day festival with like our, our own employees, things like that. And then she, so she's the event manager. She does all of our festivals, tastings. She has a, a small staff of brand ambassadors who go out to liquor stores and festivals and taste out our beers and interact with customers. What kind of social stuff do you do? Facebook, Insta, Twitter. Yeah. Yep, those are the, the big three. Because of we're a brewery, we're, we're trying to keep an eye on the other more beer-specific um, apps and things. Mainly Untapped is the big one that seems to pop up quite a bit. We focus on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then those other kind of tangential brewery specific. There's one that's called Tap Hunter. And that's more of like a menu thing. Um, we just kind of have to keep an eye on for making sure that they're listing things correctly. It's just, okay. it's amazing how often things can kind of get mixed up. So Untapped, I know that like the breweries manage their own Untapped yeah. profiles. Yep. Uh, and so then this, this Tap Hunter is like, they they kind yeah. of they crawl for their own stuff uh-huh. and they yep. mess it up. They do, they do, yeah. 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 I, um, what's your opinion of Untapped actually? I've heard that a lot of brewers hate it. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't love it. I, you know, I think it's great for people to be able to participate socially with what they're drinking. You know that I think it's it's more valuable to the individual than it is valuable to us as a brewery, but you could say the same thing for Yelp, you know, or now Google reviews. Like those, they're just things you got to keep an eye on, and you don't you can't really take a lot of lessons from them. You don't really I don't even think you can really gather a lot of information from them. It's just such a wide variety of engagement where you know someone might throw one star, no explanation, no indication of where they were, 
or any other details, whereas another person might write like a long, thoughtful review on Untapped about something that they're drinking. Because it doesn't force you to say like, well, you left one star, what did you not like about it? It doesn't require you to do that. And it's kind of the same with like Google reviews or Yelp or any of those other things where people can kind of just anonymously leave feedback or lack of feedback, which is, it's almost better to get someone kind of on a rant, because then at least you can follow up with them and say, hey, like, I'm really sorry you had that experience. Um, let's see what we can do to make you feel better. So it's something that we keep an eye on. We do respond to, to Yelp reviews, we respond to Google reviews, and occasionally we will respond to something on Untapped, but usually it's just a, um, someone checked in the wrong beer under the wrong brewery or something like that. So we just kind of monitor it, make sure that our information's all accurate. But it's a lot to keep track of. And in general, I, f I think, especially with social, we try to put really high quality content out there and then respond with positivity. And that has served us well, I'd say, across the board. We've rarely, rarely run into issues on social where we got people trolling us or just angry or leaving angry feedback or yelling at us for any reason. For the most part, it's been pretty positive. And when you address them as real people, they respond in kind usually, so. Each of our beers has its own unique logo, so try to get those logos up there, make sure that the beer is spelled right. You know, things like day tripper, you'd be amazed, like, because it could be one word, it could be two words, you know, so um, just trying to make sure it's exactly how we want it to look and then monitor it from there, but. It's funny that you'd say each of your beers has its unique logo. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of work, but I guess yeah. the deed's got a, you know, it's got the team for it, right? Yeah. So that's well, like. Well, we try. I know if we have. It's interesting, actually, that, that you bring it up because it's something that we've been debating about for a while, especially with our, you know, our beers that maybe are only going to be around once. It's yeah. more of a R&D type of thing or just a, like, we need to prop up some yeast, so we're going to run a batch of this like lager that you know might never come back again. We recently made a conscious decision to brand every beer as if it's a proper beer. In the past we had some series where we would kind of try to throw beers. So we had the derailed series for quite a long time and um, it was just like a one-off R&D type of series. At least what I found is that when you brand something as a series, I think it's hard for people to keep interest in it, especially in this very, very saturated market where there's always something new and the craft drinker wants to try what's new before their other craft drink, like friend, you know, friends who are into craft beer. Like they want to be like, did you try this? Did you have this? Or like they want to be able to go together and like hunt down the new thing. And that, I mean, that's extremely challenging to try to keep up with and you can't possibly, you, you really have to stay true to what you're doing and like hope that people will come. But at the same time, I didn't think we were doing ourselves any favors by having this series where like every time one came out, it would be like the derailed IPA or the derailed lager or the derailed brown ale or whatever the case may be. And that just looks, when you look, when you add them all up, it just looks boring. It looks not fun. You know, there's no personality to any of these beers. And you really started to feel like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? I think your intuition's yeah. on, right on that one. Yeah. I do the same, like whenever I go to a brewery and if I saw, you know, derailed number 14, I'd say, well, where are the other 13? Yeah, and like yeah. I, back when I really did check in every beer I drank, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, if I check in derailed 14, 
then I'm going to feel this emptiness mm -hmm. for one through 13 that yeah. I never had. Yeah. And it's not a feeling I like feeling, right? right? I think you got it. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I would look at a beer like that and go, oh, it's just number 14. Let me try one of their real beers. Right. You know, like, yeah. no, 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 you're totally right. That's, yeah. yeah. Even, I know I love the day tripper, but I, and I haven't been here in three years and I still got the peach rum instead because I don't, I've already had the day tripper. Yeah. So I'm yep. going to try the new thing. Exactly. Or the new to me thing. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And we, we had to do the same thing with our Wooden Soul series. So that's our barrel aged, sour, wild. We were numbering those as well. And it, was, it worked out for a couple when we could all remember exactly what one, two, three were. And then, you know, we got kind of up into the higher numbers and, we started looking at each other like, what was 10 again? Like, was that the grapefruit or the raspberry? Like, yeah. you know, and it's like, that's not, if we can't remember what number the, you know, the cherry and the golden sour base was, then how are we going to expect anyone else to remember that? So those are all getting names as well. Um, and that, that series is super cool. And it's off site, so we don't have the barrels here for reasons of, you know, we don't want any wild. Right little critters to jump out of their barrels and jump into a giant batch of day tripper and spoil it. So there, it's just like 10, 15 minutes away. We have our barrel aging room. We call it the woods. Um, the series is called Winsel. And Adam Tice, who is an old time friend and co-brewer with Josh, who also worked at Town Hall, he's kind of in charge of the barrel. So he's like the barrel the barrel keeper. He does all the tasting and the blending and just keeps an eye on them. And he's, he's really only there maybe once, a tw once or twice a week because it's such a slow moving process. He kind of just can go in, check everything, and then the barrels just sit and do their thing for a long time. So those beers are getting their own names and brands as well. What is your favorite beer of all time? Honestly, it's not because I work here and I'm trying to plug Day Tripper, but it's Day Tripper. I really think it's Day Tripper. I, I can't think of another beer that I like more than Day Tripper. Then instead, here, what's your first, the beer that introduced you to liking beer? Because that's another question we sometimes throw. Oh around. yeah, definitely. Um, let's like your first not Bud Light. Mm -hmm, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't really dr grow up drinking beer. I, my family didn't drink. Beer. I actually grew up in Massachusetts. Um, I didn't grow up in, in the Midwest, but um, we didn't drink a lot of beer at all. Um, and in college, I didn't even really drink beer, but I went to college in Western Massachusetts and they were just starting to have some craft breweries pop up out there. I think it was like the East Hampton craft, you know, East Hampton Brewery, something like that. And they had kind of like a hoppier pale ale. <laughs> There's a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> you know you like. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's like got some stuff going on. Like that's <laughs> tasty. Bitter, floral, you know, all the things. So it was very new to me. I was very, very new to craft beer at the time, but it was fun. You get growlers. I was like, oh, what is this thing? I can like take this it to jug. go. You just filled it here? Like, look at this cute little jug. <laughs> What is something that you would, as a, you know, as a marketing person mm -hmm. for this brewery, what's a piece of advice you'd maybe offer to another brewery that is, that you wish you had known starting off or in, maybe indeed wishes they had known before yeah. they got you? Sure. I'd say, um, don't try to chase trends. I think it's very tempting to want to just chase around whatever people are telling you is cool at the moment at least in the Twin Cities, the age that our craft scene is at, I would say is kind of like a, 
adolescent scene, perhaps. And maybe that's not totally accurate. Obviously, we have breweries like Summit, which have been around forever. So it's not saying I'm not saying that craft beer is new here, but with the saturation and the age of the average age of all the new breweries, I'd say, kind of feels like a teen. We're in like our awkward teenage years a bit. And so there's a ton of competition, and people are all trying to do what they think is going to work for them and for their customers. I think having a strong point of view about what you're trying to do, what your brand is all about, and just sticking with it to a certain extent. Obviously being flexible is really important too, but sticking to your guns on like, no, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna chase that trend or this hip type of beer just because that's what everyone else is doing. It's, it has to come from an authentic place, I think. And I, I know a lot of marketing people try to talk about authenticity and, and things like that and like staying true to your story, but I really do think it's good advice. You know, it might sound like not groundbreaking advice, but just staying true to what what makes you who you are. Because when, when everything else kind of fades away, that's kind of what you still have to stand on, so. So I'm hearing you didn't, you probably didn't make any glitter beers. <laughs> no, and I'm not saying we're totally like, I also don't want to come off as, as stodgy. Like, Sticking like, the mud, yeah, like, glitter beer's kind of fun. I know, <laughs> it's not that. It's Every yeah. brewery in Minneapolis has some cool nonprofit component yeah. that is yeah. makes me so envious. Yeah, yeah, it's it's super cool, and I just want to mention it because yeah, I think that it? ours is is unique. Um, you know, it's awesome. I think it's super great that um, so many breweries are adding that um, component to their tap room, especially their tap room vibes. But um, ours is a all employee driven, so um, each of our employees are able to nominate a. Minnesota nonprofit and goes through like a little bit of an approval process and now we're, we're almost up to 61 employees so that's more employees than there are weeks of the year but in past years you know we'd be able to kind of fill up the whole calendar with Wednesday nights and we were not open our taproom wasn't open on Wednesdays then we decided to open on Wednesdays and 100% of the proceeds go to these nonprofits that the employees select and they get to kind of direct you know, where the money goes, and I just think it's it's a really cool thing that Indeed does that. I, just, I love the fact that it's employee-driven, and it's not just top-down, maybe owners or a small group of people deciding this is what we're all about, and it really does kind of show this breadth of diversity within our staff that I love showcasing and I love talking about it, and it's a really cool way for us to talk about our employees, too, because we can highlight them every week and say, hey, this is Justin, he works on the canning line, he picked this nonprofit, and this is why, and you get to meet the people that, you know, make all the small details of the brewery happen every day. Do you guys have pink boots out in this area? We do, okay. yep, there's a Pink Boots Society Minnesota chapter. Yep. Okay, so Pink Boots is like yeah, the Women in Brewing Society. Yeah. Are you guys involved with that at all? Um, I don't know, maybe talk about some of the, yeah, yeah just. Yeah, I was kind of like wrestling this question around in my mind because I knew that that was something that you wanted to talk about as you know someone who would be considered to be a woman in beer. It's really funny. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. I don't necessarily think of myself as like a person in the beer industry. I think of myself as like very much a indeed, like I'm all about indeed and not necessarily as much about like the craft scene as a whole, which I think, I don't know if that's unique to me because I do know I meet a lot of other women who are like super passionate about 
craft and like promoting women in craft and I absolutely am too but I'm not when I'm out like on my own I don't drink a ton of craft beer I am really like an indeed I'm like a woman at indeed if that makes any sense but at the same time as someone who does work in the beer industry I do see ways in which it can definitely still continue to improve it it did come from a place of being a, quite a boys club and I do think that's a holdover from the large macro culture um, and the you know the brewers, the manufacturers, the distributors of that. It was a very, very, very male-dominated industry. And um, so, you know, the people that were starting to make their own craft breweries, many came from brewing backgrounds at places like Budweiser and, you know, larger breweries and things like that. Um, so I do think we still have a lot of work to do in that regard. And even just, you know, it's, I, I think I'm spoiled at Indeed because I look around and I do work with a lot of strong women. And I feel completely supported here as a woman. Um, I feel like my opinion is heard and maybe oftentimes taken with a little bit more seriousness because I'm underrepresented. And so if they hear me saying something, especially I mean, really any kind of situation where it's like, okay, well, you know, we all think this, but maybe we should take pause and think like Kelly's coming at this from a different perspective. So we should give that some extra thought. And I think that I'm definitely spoiled um, here because of that. And it feels good to be working at a place like that where my opinion is really taken seriously. But yeah, it would be awesome to look around and see more women. I'd love to see more women back brewing. I would love to see more women packaging. I mean, the, the cool thing about the craft beer boom is that there's these small manufacturing companies that um, provide a pretty good quality of life and interesting work and make a quality product that everybody can be proud of. And to see more women in different areas of the brewing industry, I think would be our next goal. Because I, I see a lot of women even breaking into sales now, and that's definitely a grind, that's tough. I, I don't envy women in the sales world. I would say if there's any area where the craft industry could improve, it would probably be in sales. That culture, I think, is still pretty toxic in a lot of ways, um, unfortunately. You know, I think women who want to get into brewing have a lot of support. They can find resources like Pink Boots. Um, we've got a new local organization that just started called Witch Hunt Minneapolis, and um, they're helping women to find jobs. They've got job boards and networking and things like that. But I really think one of the, yeah, a, kind of an a area that's not talked about as much because people focus on brewing and production, but the sales side of things, I'd say, you know, it's really tough. You are out there dealing with a wide variety of personality types. I would say, bar owners and managers are not always the, the nicest. They're not always the most upstanding. <laughs> like, there's a lot of, as we know, like there's a ton of harassment in the service industry and that extends to the people that, you know, we are servicing those accounts where that culture exists. And I know we could do a lot better with that. Just, you know, I think it's it, it should be approached more of like a business relationship. Like we have a product we'd like to sell you. We don't have to schmooze. We don't have to do shots together. You don't have to pinch my butt for like for me to be able to sell you beer. <laughs> so I think that's yeah, that's an area that, that I don't think gets talked about as much. And I think you know, a lot of women work in roles that are more behind the scenes. You might not know that they're there, but they're kind of like making a lot of things happen, moving a lot of pieces around all the time every day, and taking care of things that ordering lunch for everyone, <laughs> stuff like that. But like you, people don't always think to like, hey, someone had a baby, let's 
let's pool and get them a gift or, you know, like things that are more traditional female roles get taken care of by women that, you know, you don't see their face on the website. You don't see them in like the boots, you know, brewing or owning, necessarily owning the business, but it would be awesome to see, see more of that, more visibility. So cool. Mia would agree with the, uh, the shortfalls of the boy brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, okay, we have a meeting for 20 people. Like, Let's order lunch. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, oh, and then, oh, you just take care of it. And it's yeah. like, okay, I will because we have to, we but like, it. why did none of your brains go to this? Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, when the meeting's over, like, and the, everything just sits there. It's like, is anyone Oh, I'm off? sorry. No one thinks they should remove <laughs> that to the trash. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Boy brain. <laughs> Man. It's not that boys are thinking other people will do it and solve them for them. They, they don't even think not about even... the problem. Right, right, They right, go, right. man, they, like, they'll show up at a meeting that's at noon. That's and if, the... if lunch isn't there, they'll be like, man, I'm hungry, I'm man. Sorry. What went wrong? Like, <laughs> they, they don't think, like, they don't think, man, where, where was Mia with lunch? You know, they don't, they right. definitely don't think that. They just right. think, they're just too dumb to, to pre-think of food. And how sad is that? I guess well, I'm always yeah, thinking of food. Like, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> When was the last time you cried? It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it usually isn't. Yeah. <laughs> what we've learned. But I'm trying to remember exactly why. So um, <laughs> it's been kind of a crazy month-ish, a month plus that my wife and I bought a house. Been in the process of moving and there's just been a, like a lot going on with that. I'm sure it was like something related to like, oh no, actually I can think of it. And this ties back to the women in the workplace thing. So I was like, one of our sales guys had his wife and he and his wife just had a baby. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna like organize this little gift. And then I put some thought into the gift. I got a card, I packaged the gift up, had it all ready to go. And I was thinking to myself, I should let the sales team know that um, we got this gift so that when he gets the gift and he's like, thanks for the gift, they're not like, what are you talking about? I don't know, we got a gift. So I went on our internal messaging system and it's like, went on the sales team section and said like, hey everybody, just so you know, um, we got Colin and his wife a little gift. So if he says thank you, like just wanted to keep you in the loop. And he was on the channel. So he's like, oh, pre-thank you for the gift. And I was like so upset for like two seconds because I had already like blown the surprise and it was just like, I cried a little bit. <laughs> That's so cute though. I, know, I, was, I was just like, so I was embarrassed more than anything else. I, Cause you know, someone leaves for a week and you suddenly forget that they're like still there. But he was like, you know, obviously so log still. Log off of work, yeah, Colin. Yeah, so I'm like, oh my God, it was super embarrassing. But also, yeah. Yeah, so that was the last time I cried. Bad. It's like it's healthy. I think it's healthy oh, yeah. to get your tears out sometimes. <laughs> you gotta do it's it. like just a good release and then you can move on. <laughs> let's go get a beer. Yeah, let's do it. There you go. <laughs> Cheers. That was Kelly Moritz of Indeed Brewery. Thank you so much for letting us hang out for the day. Thanks for getting real with us, Kelly. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Washington Beer Talk. I'm your host, The Cycling Cicerone. If you want to get more episodes of the podcast, then go to cyclingcicerone.com slash podcast. They're all up there. You can get on a Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, most of the places you can get podcasts. Don't forget to check out Craft Beer of the Month at cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club to support the podcast and get tasty beer. 
gigantic bicycle fest is a three-day festival of music biking and the arts and this year yours truly is hosting the beer garden if you want to help out or if you're a brewer that wants to serve your beer at our beer garden then hit me up if you love biking camping art or any combination of those then register for a ride at giganticbicyclefest.org and use my promo code BEER for half off your admission. You can register for a 50-mile ride, a century ride if you're bold, or just come and enjoy the music festival and beer, August 24th to 26th. See you there. Oh, you just filled it here? Like, look at this cute little jug. <laughs> cute little jug. Why, why is it called a growler? Why does yeah. it make that noise? Yeah. Is it making a noise? You know what's you know what's really unsatisfying is the history of the name growler. I know. Right? Like, because yeah. it's called growler. You go, why is it called growler? What's that mean? And they go, oh well, it's named for the bucket that uh, medieval peasants would bring their beer. Yeah. yeah. Well, why is that called a growler? You know, like, <laughs> oh, because the beer gurgles around Gurgle. and it sloshes yeah. and it makes a growling noise. Yeah. Like, off. Okay. <laughs> I guess. Unsatisfying. We'll go with it. Yeah. Such a Ren Faire answer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs>